I'll never forget a year ago, May, when I flew from Tel Aviv to Munich, Germany with a group, and I contracted COVID, as most of you know. The group the next day went on without me back to the States, and um, that morning, a Red Cross van came and picked me up, got in a hazmat suit, all the rest, and drove me. I get motion sickness horribly. I am cursed. And uh, this guy stuck me in the back of the van. I said, can I, can I sit up front through a translator? No, in the back. But I made it okay. And uh, the German government required for travelers in that season that if you contracted COVID, you had to stay in a hotel for five, mo- uh, five days. It seemed like five months. And so I'll never forget checking into the hotel. They cleared the lobby. Everybody had to get out of the lobby. This is a massive hotel. A television crew was there Sunday morning. Uh, Barron Soccer Club had just won the European Championship. And, and so this was a big outfit. Uh, they cleared the lobby. I come in, I check in, and I go up to my room to the COVID floor. And I'll never forget walking in the room, and the door slams behind me. I drop my bags. And it was a very lonely moment. Uh, I was overcome to some level of anxiety. I wanted to get home to be with my family. I, I had stuff here at church I needed to get done. It was no time for God to interrupt my life like this. And so uh, for two days, I pleaded with the Lord for him to deliver me in some way. Uh, I, I would actually, I can admit it now, I would sneak out and go through the lobby and get across to the terminal and get tested every day so that, that somehow, somewhere they would say, oh, you're negative, you can go home. That didn't happen. So after two days of that pleading, the Lord said, I've had enough of hearing this. It's time to get happy about it. And I did. All of us are suffering on some level, and that suffering is relative. My, my suffering experience, I've had far worse. But there's a point to that story. And the suffering that we experience means that we're not alone. All of us are dealing with it in some form or fashion, right? I mean, if you're alive and you're dealing with sin as a Christian, you're dealing with some level of suffering. You're trying to live the right kind of life, and you you sin and you deal with the guilt and shame of that sin and you're, you know, you're embarrassed before the Lord and all the rest. And then there are tragic things that happen in our lives, much of which we can't control and we go through that kind of suffering. The world has no answer to the problem of suffering and how to get through it. I don't see how they do it and the fact is they don't. And the good news is that the Bible gives us hope. It answers the question of suffering and how to get through it. 
And there's no better example than the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And let me give you a little bit of context of what's going on. Paul is dealing with false teachers, false apostles they are called. And they are trying to dissuade those in the churches that Paul has established to no longer follow Paul's teaching but follow their own. And they're bragging about dreams and visions that they've had. And so Paul says, you know, it's foolish to to brag about dreams and visions. But if you want to brag about that, I can brag too. He talks about being caught up into the third heaven. What is that? Earlier in the chapter. Well, the first heaven is the air that we see, the atmosphere, the air we breathe, the birds that fly in the sky. The second heaven is space, sun, moon, and stars. The third heaven is where God resides, and he clarifies that by saying he was caught up into paradise. He said, I heard things I've never heard before. It was an incredible experience, but I'm not going to brag about that. Instead, I'm going to brag about my weaknesses. And I'm going to brag about God who has helped me in my weaknesses. Now, there's another sermon for that right there, but I don't have time to get into. But if we're going to brag about anything, Paul is directing his listeners' attention to the glory of God and the power of God in his life. Paul had a lot to brag about from a physical standpoint uh, of who he was in the Jewish faith. But instead, he humbled himself and talked about God. And so, in light of that, let's read verse 7. Therefore, I've had these visions and dreams, and I don't want to exalt myself. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power, actually it's my power, is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So because of Christ, I am pleased in weaknesses, in insults, in catastrophes, in persecutions, and in pressures, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, there are several things I want us to see from this passage today. If you're a guest, I'm going through a series called Pressure Points. And today is the pressure point of suffering. We've talked about others, but this is, this is a big one. We all go through suffering. And how do we deal with that? Well, first of all, notice the source of suffering. He says in verse 7, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Now, what was the thorn? Well, it was obvious, very painful to him. Some believe that it was physical in nature, that it was uh, maybe malaria, it was uh, his his physical appearance, it was some physical ailment, bad eyesight, as we read in other portions of his letters. He talks about his eyesight. It could have been that. Some believe it might have been emotional or psychological pain that was creating anxiety, the, the pressure, the weight of what he was doing. Some believe that it might have been uh, just the opposition that he was dealing with. 
and the constant pressure of that each and every day. But the key to it, I believe, is the fact that he says it was a thorn in the flesh. It was in the flesh. It was some kind of, I believe, and most scholars believe, a physical ailment that was causing great pain in his life. Now notice, he says that this thorn began 14 years ago. Verse 2 is when he says, 14 years ago I had the vision, and immediately after the vision the thorn came. So it wasn't just a problem that he was dealing with over a few days, weeks, or months, or even a few years. But for 14 years, he was dealing with this painful thorn. Now, he says that it was given to him. This thorn was given to him. That's in the passive voice, meaning that it's implied it came from somebody else. It's not self-induced. He didn't create it, but it was given to him by God. But then it says, a messenger of Satan. So did it come from God or did it come from Satan? Which is it? Well, we answer that by going back to the fall of man. We go to the Garden of Eden. And there we find that God created the potential for evil by giving an Adam and Eve a choice of what they would do. God said, don't eat of the fruit of that tree in the middle of the garden. And they had the ability to choose to do that or not. And they chose to do that. And therefore, sin entered the world which means suffering entered into the world. So that moral sin became natural sin. It affected all of creation. It affected us physically. And so that's where that source of, of suffering comes from if we're asking that existential question today that everyone asked for decades, for thousands of years. Now notice he says that it tormented him. It's an interesting word. It means that it was persistent. It was continuous. It was abusive. It's the exact same word that is used of Jesus during Passion Week when it says they beat him. So when they beat Christ, it wasn't just something that was short-lived, but that it was extremely abusive, extremely painful, that it was continuous in the experience of that beating Notice, secondly, the purpose of suffering. We all ask the question, why is there suffering? If God is good, why does he allow suffering? Again, another great question, famous question. It's asked this way, if God is all-knowing, why does he allow it? He's aware of everything that goes on. If God is all-powerful, then he can prevent it or control the suffering that we experience. If God is loving, then he cares about that which he's created. So if he loves me, why does he allow that? That's the question I was asking. Lord, I don't have time for this. Why have you allowed this to happen? Lord, I love you. Why, why is this taking place? Why is there the suffering? Well, Job asked the same question. Why is this happening to me? His wife said, it's God's fault. His friends said, it's your fault. Paul believed he suffered so that he would not exalt himself, that he would not allow pride to enter into his life. In fact, in verse 7, he repeats it. He says it twice, so that I would not exalt myself. David said in Psalm 119, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn from your statutes. James writes in James 1, Consider it a great joy, my brothers, when you experience various trials. Let's be honest, is that the first thing that comes to mind when the suffering hits? Knowing 
that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So see, he describes the suffering as a test. We see Jesus, after his baptism, is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. No, I mean after the, yeah, after the baptism into the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan. So you look at that, what's happening. God is allowing the experience. He's using it as a test. Satan is using it to tempt us away. We decide which way we go. Which way is it going to go? The test or the temptation? He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, but endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. It's part of the maturing process in our life. Why the suffering many times, we're not sure. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we know in part one day we will know in full what is taking place. The atheist, he sees the suffering has no purpose. But the believer sees suffering has a purpose. That it has meaning behind it. Ultimately, we know that all suffering is part of God's purpose. And it's his good purpose. Even though God created the potential for evil and he knew that we would sin. That's the only way that he could create the potential for good. And for us to understand his love. How can I understand the good without the bad? How can I understand God apart from Satan and his work? And so it balances out that that's what God has created, the potential for us to understand good and evil. Notice the response during suffering in verse 8. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away. Paul went to God. The circumstance didn't drive him away from God, but to God. Let me ask you, what has happened with your suffering? Is it driving you away from him? You're doubting him? You're questioning him? Or is it moving you to him? Getting before him, pleading with him, as Paul did. He says, I pleaded three times. These are raw feelings. It's a place where Paul was able to get alone and get honest that's what prayer is. Prayer is not an intellectual experience of formality before God. It is being raw with Him. It's okay to say, God, I'm angry with you. God, I don't understand you. God, what are you doing? As I've said before, you can't stay there. But it's okay because it's there that God is going to move toward us. It's there that God responds and begins the process of healing for those who are suffering. It's okay. Notice the provision through suffering, verse 9. The Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul's wanting an explanation. We want an explanation. Why? But God does not give him an explanation. He gives him something far greater. He gives himself. I mean, what's more important right now? The explanation or the presence and power of God? What's going to help you the most in getting through the suffering that you're experiencing? And that's what he does for all of us. He does not say, Paul, your grace is sufficient. He says, my grace is sufficient. He does not say, I will give you grace. 
He says, my grace, you already have it, is sufficient. It's appropriating it. It's applying it. He says his grace is sufficient. It doesn't mean it's just adequate. It means that it is abundant. Paul says in Ephesians 3, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in you, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Again, notice what he's saying. It's about the glory of God. There's a power that's working within you, not just to help you and your situation of suffering, but it's to help others see the glory of God. Now, how is God's grace sufficient? He tells us. First of all, you have peace. Verse 9, therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses. Now, this is Paul's aha moment like it was for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The victory for Jesus was in the garden, not on the cross. And the victory for Paul here is in this moment of when he realizes that, all right, I can't do this, but he can. I will boast all the more about him. Gladly will I do that. He accepts his situation. And that's the answer that God gives him. He doesn't give a stoic, passive response but it's very determined, one of hope and one of victory. And God's grace will give you peace in the midst of the chaos. Notice also God's grace means that you can have power. Verse 9, he says, so that Christ's power may reside in me. There's two ways to lighten a load. One is to remove the weight. The other is to increase the strength. And here, God may sometimes choose to remove the load, but most of the time that doesn't happen, does it? That he increases the strength that we need in our suffering. Notice also God's grace means that he gives us pleasure, joy. Verse 10, so because of Christ, I am pleased in weaknesses and in insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and pressures. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, it's not in your health. It's not in your intellect. It's not in your position, your work, your wealth that gives you power. It is through your weakness that you discover the power of Christ. Therefore, you can embrace your suffering. You can rest in your suffering and you can endure your suffering. That's God's provision for your suffering, his grace but notice also there are promises for sufferers. Now, how do we have, or why do we have promises? Well, we have them because we have suffering. I mean, God doesn't leave us alone in our suffering. He gives us promises. He gave Paul one, but he gives us many. And can I share with you just a few promises for sufferers today? If you feel that you're in a period, a season of suffering, you might want to write these references down and refer to them later. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. Psalm 147, 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalm 3, 3, great chapter. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. You can't even get your head up off the pillow. To lift it up to heaven, he can do that. 
2 Corinthians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. He's comforted me. With that comfort, I'm able to comfort others. Romans 8, 28, my life verse for all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things work together, the good, bad, and the ugly, for good. God brings good out of it. Romans eight eighteen, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. 1 Peter 5.10, Now the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will personally, personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little. John 16.33, You will suffer in this world. Jesus says, Be courageous, I have conquered the world. Lamentations 3 verse 22, because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in him. James 1.12, blessed is a man who endures trials, because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that he has promised to those who love him. Revelation 21, 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will exist no longer. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. And then one of my favorites, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now he says this, we have this treasure in clay jars, the, 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 the Christ. We have Christ in us, the gospel, in clay jars, this flesh. So that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are pressured in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. Therefore we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God gives us promises, great promises, aren't they, for suffering. Now notice the use of suffering. In chapter 12, verse 14, I didn't read this earlier, he says this, Look, I am ready to come to you this third time. I will not burden you, for I am not seeking what is yours, but you. I will most gladly spend and be spent for you. So Paul has gone through this suffering. He didn't say, I'm, I'm tired, I'm going home. I've had enough. I've served the Lord long enough. He says, no, I'm, I'm coming to you again. So the power that God gives him helps him to help fellow sufferers. He's aware of ministry opportunities that are ahead of him. He's more aware of their suffering and the suffering of others. And Paul now has the moral authority to help those who are in need because of what he has experienced. 
Now, the bottom line is this. The question that Paul is really asking in chapter 12 is this. Who is sufficient to handle these things? Who is sufficient to handle my weakness? And he recognizes I am insufficient, but he is all-sufficient. We all cry, take it away, take it away. But this is when Christ finds his opportunity to move in and to minister his grace. And his strength empowers us to do his work in us and through us. Now I want to tell you the rest of the story about what happened in Munich. I came home and I found out after being home a few weeks, I got an email from the German government that says that I can be reimbursed for the money that it costs to stay in Germany. They said I had to stay and they said that they would pay that. I never heard of such a thing. I thought it was a scam. So I began to do due diligence and check and found out that that was legitimate. It cost about $2,000 for me to stay those five days in Germany. And so I started going through all the paperwork. It was very extensive. Had to get all my receipts. I had to go back and find all my COVID tests. And that was really a very complicated issue because some tests said I was positive. Some said I was negative, And I had to verify all of that. And so I send it off, and nine months later, nine months later, I'm wired almost all of that amount of money, and it's deposited in my checking account. I could not believe it. It was amazing. But here's the story. When I first started the application process, there was a a woman there in Munich who represented the office there of the government that did all this. And she was very helpful, very gracious, and she would pass me along, and then they would pass me along as I got levels of approval. But I always came back to her, and I said, hey, what's the status? What's going on? Uh, You know, I'm not hearing anything. Nine months. And she was very gracious. And one day, I got an email from her about halfway through the process, and it wasn't about this, but she just said, hey, by the way, I've started watching you online on Sundays. Now, several things went through my mind at that moment. I am so happy I held it together when I made that first phone call. (laughs) Because I was about ready to lose it. But, But God was working behind the scenes for one woman to begin watching our Sunday morning services. I'm glad we're online. And I don't know if the whole experience was for her. I learned a lot. Remember I came home and I wrote the sermon on the plane, Lessons from Munich, and I shared with you all those lessons. But that's the greatest lesson, is that behind your suffering, God is at work. So be careful how you respond. The world's watching. And I'll end with this. The world has no answer for the problem of suffering and how to get through it. We do. It is the power of Christ that is given to us by his grace. Would you bow your head and close your eyes?
There might be somebody here this morning that would say, Pastor, I recognize that I have sinned against God. And I want my sin forgiven. I want to know God. And I want to begin a relationship with Him. And He simply asks us to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus Christ alone for our salvation because Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. That we can't take care of our sin problem. No one else offers a solution to our sin problem. But God does by allowing his only son to be our payment through his death on the cross. And when he was raised from the dead, that validated what he did on the cross for us. So he's alive today and he wants to live in your heart. So in a moment when we sing this next song, I'm going to invite you to come to one of our pastors who will help you as you give your heart to Christ and begin a journey of faith with him. Many of us know the Lord. But I pray God's word has encouraged you to know that The power of Christ resides in you. The grace that is in you is sufficient for you. And God is waiting for us to humble ourselves and admit that. He knows what you're dealing with. And why not just say, Lord, I I release this to you. My, My strength is insufficient. So in my weakness now, I'm relying on your power. And that's what I want to brag about. It's what you're doing in my suffering and through my suffering to accomplish your purpose, which oftentimes I don't see, but to know that you're at work behind the scenes. There might be others that God is leading you to become part of our church family. You've heard a little bit about today of what the Lord is doing in our church and through our church. We would love for you to be a part of it. There might be others who want to pray here at the altar alone, or maybe you want someone to pray for you. You let us know, and we'll do that. Father, thank you that your grace is sufficient, that you've made it available to us. Lord, we are weak people. We are frail. As Jesus said, apart from you, we can do nothing. We are nothing. Thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. Help these who need to make commitments now. In Jesus' name, amen.